Hey there. Welcome back to the Thoughts on Selling podcast. I'm your host, Lee Levitt. Through conversations with fellow sales leaders, sales enablement, and operations executives, and experts in sales performance, together we explore how to improve enterprise sales productivity. This is the beginning of the conversation. I invite you to take one or two interesting tidbits from the conversation with our guest, talk them through with your team, and take one specific step to improve your sales productivity. Then let me know how it goes. I want to hear what you learned, the actions you took, and the results you generated. You can find show notes, past podcasts, and a contact form at podcast.thoughtsonselling.com. And here's an opportunity. If you feel that something is getting in your way of being a more successful salesperson or manager, engaging a coach might help you to achieve more of your sales and personal goals. I've coached individual salespeople, sales managers, and company principals over the years, helping them to break through to higher performance and personal satisfaction. I have a couple of individual coaching slots opening up in early 2024. To learn more about how coaching can help you to be even more successful, please visit accelerogroup.com meet to schedule an initial conversation. And be sure to ask about our no-risk guarantee. I look forward to talking to you. And now, on to the conversation. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, it is my distinct pleasure to have an old friend back for a conversation. And by old friend, I mean, we've known each other for a long time. She is young at heart. Lori Schloff, who runs Partners in Communications. Lori and I go back a number of years. She helped prepare me for some very important presentations at IDC, and I still remember some of those lessons. Lori, say hello and give it just a brief introduction. It's so wonderful to be with you, Lee. You are one of my stellar clients. When I met you, you were on the quieter side and just getting into speaking. And now here you are, a real superstar in your field. It's great to see you. You actually look pretty much like the Lee I met a couple of decades ago. So I guess we're doing great in our careers. And I think for both of us, our careers energize us. Absolutely. Now you say, Lori, that I was one of the quieter people. And I don't think anyone who knows me would say I'm one of the quieter people. But perhaps you're thinking about the very first time I stood in front of a podium with Pat McGovern and Aaron Goldberg and some other folks around me. I read from my notes. And the second time I put the notes down and I still stood behind that safe podium. And the third time, I think I was jumping off of it. And thanks to you, I was prepared for that session. So let me set the context for this conversation. You and I have a very strong belief, a shared belief, that we create our world with our words. And you are a master at creating your world with your words, and you are a master at helping others to develop that same skill. And in sales, there's nothing more important than being able to communicate effectively. So let's talk a little bit about that. What's your theory of communications? First of all, I think it's really wonderful that we can wake up and be in control of what I call the three dimensions, what we say, our message, how we sound, our oral image, and the way we come across visually. And isn't that beautiful? Because we can't wake up tomorrow necessarily in our dream house or with the salary that we want, but we can control how we communicate. And through that, we can influence others and hopefully in a very positive way make the world a better place. I am so gratified that I'm able to help people to impact others 
and influence them in very, very helpful and positive ways through using communication as a tool. I'm with you on that. And I think most of us fall into patterns of behavior that cause us to say, I hope, or say, I wish, or um, 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 and I'm not editing those ums out. Our communication as a result is less powerful. Yes. You may want to look at your communication along different dimensions. So for example, are you too strong or too weak? I call these clients the twos. Too assertive, too passive, too quiet in a meeting, too noisy in a meeting. So I look at things along a continuum. A coach's mindset is nothing is good or bad, Lee. It's that everything is contextual. Another way to look at your own communication as a salesperson or in any profession really is what is the whole of you saying, W-H-O-L-E? What do you want to say with your communication? So we ask clients, and I could actually ask you now, to come up with what we call style words. Those are two words you'd like people to use after they've seen you in a situation. What do you want them to say about you? That's a great question, and I've asked that question of other people in a different context. When you walk into the room, how does the room change? And I think that falls along the same lines of, let's be purposeful about our approach. So for me, here we go. I knew this was going to turn into a coaching session, Lori. For me, the two words that I want people to say, one, curious, mm. and two, motivating. Beautiful. Curious is very interesting. So then I would work with the client. Let's say the style word was curious. So my job, really what I'm hired for, is how is curious or how is motivating manifested? And that's what communication coaches study. That is our field. What does it mean? Many people say they want to be confident. How is that operationalized? What does that look like? And again, we go back to the dimensions of what the person says, how they sound, mm -hmm. and their visual image. So we don't have to go too far with curious, but probably curious has very distinct markers in terms of behavior. Certainly what comes to mind is, tell me if this is how you like to be, a person who shows interest often through questions. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Even with something like conversation, for example, there's many people in sales who feel they're great at conversation. It's often the hallmark of a salesperson, but yet there's people who might be new in the field. They're good, for example, at product knowledge or service knowledge, but not at conversation. So they come to a coach and they want to get better at conversation. And we've studied that as well. There's no aspect of communication that we haven't studied or researched. And again, we have to put into words, what does it mean to be a good conversationalist? Which of course right. you're being right now, Lee. I'm being a good listener, Lori. To that end, salespeople actually have to be better listeners than conversationalists. A good salesperson asks a probing question and sits back and listens. At Oracle, we refer to our salespeople as having two modes of conversation, talking and waiting to talk and never listening. Mm. And that is a hallmark mm. of a salesperson who believes they know what's good for the customer, whether or not they've listened to what the customer needs. And so pulling it back to the sales, it's my belief that the single most important aspect for a, for a salesperson is curiosity. 
Mm. Right? They have to be curious about how they can help the customer. And some of it involves research prior to engaging. Some of it involves asking the customer all sorts of questions and listening. Yeah. I am totally with you on that because the first session that I have with any client who wants to enhance their communication, whether it's to move into a leadership position or to be more visible in a meeting or just to refine their skills, I spend the whole time listening to their self-assessment and their history mm -hmm. in order to come up with a customized plan. And I think that is actually, tell me if I'm right, that is what a good salesperson does, right? That is Discovery 101, absolutely. You have to understand what the current state is, then you want to understand what the goal state is, and then you look at the gap and how to mm -hmm. close that gap. It's identical. So our fields are really totally dependent on coming up with the right assessment and the right plan. Now, where yeah. we go from there, as a communication coach, I'm all about technique. Right, because you can find a thirsty horse, you can lead him to water, but you can't make them drink. There has to be the motivation from the client to actually do something different. So let's talk about that technique. This is gonna be a learning experience for Absolutely. the listeners. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, I, I help people build a toolbox. So there's many leadership coaches, you know that, and very often they're in the theoretical domain. I love theory, but that's not what I get hired for. Right. I get hired, someone on a Monday is like, well, I have a big, a big investor meeting on Friday. I get hired for the great results on Friday where they text me and said it went really well. They said it was the best presentation ever. Can you work magic in a week? Yes. Let me reiterate this. You are good. Look what happened with you. Like within, you know, you, you said it yourself. By the third time you were on stage, you're jumping around. You're known as the best, the best speaker in your company for God's sakes. So, okay. So what helps someone change? Now we get into that, which yeah. is the right tools and the the readiness and the right context and you had all of those so laurie i talk a lot about adult yeah. learning behavior adult learning theory in sales enablement and a lot of companies think if a salesperson watches a video once or twice then they will know exactly what to do and how to do it they will be brain smart and they'll be able to do it and my countervailing example is my daughter rachel who knows your daughter they went to camp together yeah. a few years ago my daughter rachel didn't learn to ride a bicycle by watching a youtube video of course youtube wasn't around then i literally have pictures of her older brother running alongside her holding her up and helping her get a feel for how balance works and in adult learning behavior it's the same thing you can't read a book and be a better speaker i totally agree and a very common question is how much should I practice? And I have an answer that sounds a little snarky, but it's not. As much as it takes in order to be effective. And that's why so many clients experiment. How many times do they have to practice? Do they use notes or not use notes? Do they practice aloud or just visualize in their head? So there's no magic formula. There's the toolbox. But certainly you've got to do it. This morning, I worked with a group of 20 aspiring female leaders, and I was so excited. We got to put them into dyads, groups of two, and they're going to continue practicing right. their, they call it a powerful executive presence, with this other person. That's very mm -hmm. gratifying. It's great for them. It's also gratifying for me to know that it's not one and done, like watching right. a video. 
Right, because one and done doesn't work. You do have to have that practice. Malcolm Gladwell says you have to do something for 10,000 hours before you're actually accomplished at it. I'll give you an example of how practice sometimes doesn't work. And I don't want to argue against practice. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's hear. Yeah. In 2006, I was asked to deliver a very important presentation to the senior executives and the senior clients at IDG. My boss was going to be there, my boss's boss, the, the unit head was going to be there, Pat McGovern was going to be there, all of his key lieutenants were, were going to be there, all of the big IDG clients. And I hadn't delivered a presentation publicly in a while. And I practiced and I practiced. And the more I practiced, the worse I got because I was getting uptight. And the last time I practiced before the presentation, I think my manager was preparing to run out of the room crying. It got so bad. And because I wasn't comfortable with telling the story, I got all balled up in the, oh my gosh, I'm going to fail. And on the way to the session, I got some coaching from someone I had coached. He said, it's not about you, you jerk. It's about yes. your audience. What's the yes. message you want to deliver to them? And Lori, I felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I love it. In fact, a visualization I love, which fits right in with what your wise colleague told you. You do need to be prepared. There's no doubt about it. We can mm -hmm. talk about practice and we, we'll, we'll see what we should blame in that story. Is yeah. it the practice itself or something else? We'll, we'll talk about that. But right. anyway, the technique is to visualize yourself at the meeting and the situation. And this gets a little bit hoo-ha, but it works, is picturing a circle of light, band of light surrounding the people listening to you, your audience, I call them listeners, and you. So you're all in this together. There's not a separation between you. There's an old quote that we want to work against, which is the loneliest feeling in the world is when you're standing up and everyone else is sitting down. No, no, no. You've got wonderful information to share and you do want to be prepared. That's, a, I think, a separate topic, how to prepare and practice so that you, that you are not self-conscious. You want to be able to move to other consciousness. Why? Because you're so freaking prepared. And the analogy would be, a drama analogy. Let's say you're in a Broadway show. Well, first, what do you do? You learn your lines. That's a given. That's what you have to do. Then you can connect with your fellow actors and your audience. I love that. In that particular situation, I think I didn't have a good context. I don't think I was holding the context of sharing information or enabling the audience. I was so focused on the, gee, I haven't presented in a while. That's what turned me into knots. And it's interesting. What ultimately worked for me, aside from having my colleague first say, it's not about you, dummy, it's about the audience, then wandered through the audience asking people what they were interested in learning about. Wow. You know something, Lee? You're, you're such a quick learner. I mean, think about it. I mean, you turned around 180 degrees within, what, a couple of hours? That's pretty remarkable. And that's another thing about learning, isn't it? That we right. all have different rates of learning. So I gave myself probably a B on my presentation afterwards, my manager, Claire, came up to me and she said, where did that come from? She was astonished. She was pretty sure she was going to have to let me go right on the spot. Unbelievable. I've presented in front of a thousand people. 
where I did have that white light, but the white light was the floor lights. Well, again, sometimes we do have to use our imagination uh, for sure, but then, right. then you get into technique. You know, you might be in an environment where it's hard to see people or right. they're far away. So you still have your toolkit. And, and, you know, and the toolkit is, let's say if you worked with someone like me, would be one phrase per face. And mm -hmm. you, even though they're all smushed together, you can't really see faces, you'd still know that that's something that you want to do. Right. And the same thing is probably true with video meetings where eight of the 10 people have their cameras off. So you can't see them. You just see their names. You can't see their reactions. And so it's up to the salesperson or the presenter to carry the context of I'm delivering useful information to this person. And here's a style word that it's one of my style words. So my style words are approachable and expert. Mm -hmm. I feel after all these years, I, I'm allowed to say expert. Approachable is so key for a coach. Lori, I considered you an expert the first time we met. <laughs> well, okay. And I also considered you approachable. And here we are, just a couple of years later. If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, Will you do me a favor? Will you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people to find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. A lot of people in professional capacities, whether they're salespeople or executives, take communications for granted. They don't choose their words carefully. They aren't aware that it's actually not the choice of the words or how it's delivered. It's the impact on receipt. Right, if you talk at me and I don't do anything or feel anything differently as a result, there's no value in that communication. When I stand up and present, when I talk with a customer, I want that customer to feel differently. I want that customer to think differently. I want that customer to do something. I don't care if they're throwing me out, out of their office, right? If they throw me out of the office, that's fine too. I've elicited a response, maybe not the ideal response, but a response. <laughs> I think so many salespeople and my, my design theory here is focusing on sales. Yes. Salespeople have so much going on in their heads, product knowledge and choreographing the conversation with other people involved. They forget that every word they use and how they deliver it has an impact. And if they are very good at choosing their words and paying attention to how their communication lands, they can be more effective salespeople. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, I have a positive bias related to communication and salespeople. It seems to me, and I really want to hear your opinion on it, I really respect it, is that many people go into sales because they are higher in aspects of emotional, I call it business relationship intelligence. Yeah. Than um, the average person. They've been good at it their whole lives. You're spot on. One, many salespeople are gregarious. They like to talk. And two, many salespeople have ADD. So they like to talk about many different things. There's high energy. They can focus on whatever the customer throws at them. Interestingly, I worked with some inside salespeople at Oracle. One of them had a very bad speech impediment. And God bless him for taking on the role of an inside salesperson selling on the phone. I don't know how he did it. God bless him for taking that on. So that's probably an extreme example. If he's successful, there is all sorts of ways he compensated. Maybe, I'm just theorizing, maybe he used self-disclosure. Maybe he told people, you know, bear with me. Right. 
And right. that actually is a technique. Self-disclosure is a technique. It would be very interesting because that's an, a pretty dramatic example of someone who really can't change certain things, but still was doing well in your field. So self-disclosure. Okay, I'm starting off all my presentations now with the disclosures of sometimes you won't get my humor. Sometimes I talk too fast. Sometimes I talk long. I love it. Here's mine. I say my last name means something like sleep in German, schlaf. But please don't live up to my name. I've been saying that for decades. Please don't schluff during my presentation. Yeah, exactly. And again, what does it do? It equalizes. In other words, status works all sorts of ways. If someone has high status, maybe you admire them, but you also may feel intimidated by them. And remember, if my style word is approachable, I -hmm. want to reduce intimidation. I still want them to think I'm an expert. I purposely say and do things that make me a little bit cuckoo, you know, kooky. Uh, That's one of the many reasons why we get along so well, Lori. (laughs) I will never slip during any of your conversations. Here's a question for you. In a presentation, formal presentation, what percentage of the information does the audience remember? Oh my gosh, probably so little. And I had experience with that today. I was with these 20 smart women and what I had to do today was refresh them on something we did last week. They seemed like really, really clueless about what I was talking about. And then they grabbed their notes and did better. So it takes a while to learn, integrate, which practice helps with, and to really master something. Hopefully it's not always 10,000 hours, but probably close. If we take crappy retention as a given, then what's the purpose of a presentation? I like this provocative question. I think it's it's feeling. It's in in other words, if these 20 women don't remember anything, and I'm sure some of them will study and practice and all that, it's a feeling. It's a feeling that, gosh, I need to be more aware before I go in to see my manager about how I'm coming across. Maybe they won't remember the techniques. I think you're asking a great question. You mentioned notes, so this is a written support. Whether they took notes or whether you provided notes, So it allows them to go back. Hmm, she brought up a good point. Now, what's the detail on it? Well, I really do believe the more senses that are involved, the better our memory will be, right? Right. Yep. So the more we can, and maybe that is one of the deficits. I just thought of it with virtual, because, for example, we're not in a situation where we're, you know, whatever, smell, literally smelling the coffee together. And there's an old selling test. If you haven't broken bread with the prospect, you haven't got a deal. Mm, yeah, I totally, you're reminding me, I worked with, I guess I could say the name of the company, it was Sun Microsystems, and the guy had a, I was working with had a budget cut. I knew him well, and I said, whatever you do, don't cut out the refreshments during your town hall. Most people believe that selling is delivering information in a directed way, and then the customer will make the decision based on that information. That's bullshit. People don't make big buying decisions or buying a car based on information. Do you know how many cubic centimeters the engine in the last car you bought has? I really don't get into those details. No, I don't. But is there a continuum of people? You know, there are, for example, I work with an accountant and he said that he does have clients who will travel an hour to knock on his door and say, where did that penny go? So in other words, what I'm saying is there is a continuum of people, what people care about, but go ahead. I'm with you. There is a continuum. Yeah. For the most part, 
customers making big enterprise purchasing decisions don't have the knowledge or background to make intellectual decisions on what they're buying. They don't have any history. They don't have the experience of having bought something similar. So they bank on their feelings. And mostly it's about risk. So it's about, is, is it more risky for me to do something or to do nothing? And so it's the job of the salesperson not to provide a see, think, act experience, but a see, feel, do experience. So as a salesperson, I want to elicit a feeling of, gee, what I'm doing now isn't working. And if I do something different, life is going to be better. I'll be able to afford that second house. I'll be able to take the family on vacation. I'll be able to pay for college for the kids. That's a feeling. That's not a thought. Going back to the previous conversation of people don't remember crap. I don't care if they remember. I want them to remember how they felt. Mm. I, don't, I don't want them to remember the details. I can send them a document that has the details and they won't know what that means anyway. And I'm, I'm slightly underestimating the buyer, but it's largely true. Right. Well, you know, you remind me uh, certainly of Maya Angelou's quote, right? People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget the way you made them feel. And right. also you're reminding me of one of the main reasons that I get a referral. And that is he's in the weeds. She gets too much detail. She doesn't know how to speak at a high level. I'd say it's in the top three of reasons right. why people come to a communication coach. I think we're on the same wavelength on this one. I'm here to vouch for the salesperson, to support the salesperson, and, and the salesperson's needs are very specific. I want them to be able to communicate effectively. At first blush, that sounds like it's gonna be about information, but it really is about feelings. I will say this though, the, here's a beautiful combination. Structure, because your prospect will need structure. What the hell is this guy doing here? Yep. And a little bit more of an overdose of feelings related interaction. Mm -hmm. Yep. Structure is important as well. Structure is very important. I'll never forget. Amy and I were looking to buy our first house. We went on a, on a tour of Newton with a very savvy salesperson. Yeah. She showed us three houses. It was almost good, better, best. It was crappy, good, great. <laughs> and there, there was a solid structure to that. The first one we said, Ugh, I can't imagine living here. The second one was, this is passable. And the third one presented is like, oh, this is wonderful. Let's do it oh, right now. And, well, and I like this strategy that this person had. It worked really well, supporting both our intellectual decision-making and very much how we felt about each of the places. And again, there's no difference between that at some level, between buying a house or buying a car and spending multiple million dollars on a sophisticated software application. Yeah, yeah. I'm also reminded even though I'm a creative person of Aristotle, give him some credit, I'm reminded as we talk about different ways to appeal to people of Aristotle's, what he calls modes of persuasion. It's easy, but it's big. It's, it'll change your life if you get into it. So yeah. Aristotle identified three ways that we persuade. One is logos, L-O-G-O-S, appeal to the intellect. So that might be uh, facts or data, research statistics, which is, information mm -hmm. and the second way appeal to and through emotions that's called pathos you've heard that word yep. p-a-t-h-o-s yep. 
-hmm. And then the third way is ethos or credibility. So, oh, Lori's been in her field a long time. Lee right. started 12 companies. He's also a marathon runner. Uh, so our credibility. So ethos, mm -hmm. pathos, and logos are very powerful. They are worth memorizing because going into any situation, you want to analyze, do I have the proper dosage of each of these? When we ask people to come up with their style words, we'll often say, think of one pathos word, mm -hmm. like motivating, and one logos word, like expert, authoritative, et cetera. Yep, I like that. This is related. It'll take me a minute to get there. This is related. One of my favorite books is The Art of Facilitation. And if I could only do one thing all day, every day, it would be standing in front of a room or in a group of people looking to achieve something. And I would love to facilitate them towards their ultimate goal. So the book, The Art of Facilitation, makes two suggestions. One, mm -hmm. be humble. Yes. And two, only ask questions. Mm. The difference between telling someone something, this is how you do it, versus asking the question, how do you think you should do it, has a huge impact on how well the learning occurs. When you tell someone something, they might catch it or not. When you tease it out of them, when you coax it out of them, when you make them go through the thought process, go through the Socratic dialogue, right? There's my Greek warrior. Go through the Socratic dialogue of thinking it through. It comes from a much deeper place and is much better planted. When I'm selling, I like to only ask questions because selling and facilitation are intimately related. Mm. I like the way you're thinking, yeah. And again, another label to put on what you're talking about is being indirect or inductive. Let people come to their own conclusion. Yep. Now, I will say this. If you have information people want to hear, so if I say to you, what's the, this pen made of? I don't need you to dilly-dally and ask me questions. I really want to know, okay? Right. Yep. If I'm skeptical and you really want me to buy, you know, 90,000 dozen of these, I really will need you to ask me questions to get at my belief about how this right. has helped me. Right. I just read a book called uh, Surrounded by Idiots, which is a fabulous book by Erickson, I think his mm -hmm. name is. Do you have it? Yeah. No, I was just looking to see if I was surrounded by any idiots. <laughs> so it's a catchy phrase, and really what his focus is describing four different personality types. Each of them has a different question. What, who, how, and why? The Reds who ask what is like, just get to the point. What's going to happen? What do we do? The next group is who's going to do it. The third is how is this going to happen? And the last is why are we going to do it? In your example, you're the Red, the what is it? Just bottom line it for me. And so salespeople need to think about tailoring their communications to who they're talking to and the style that that person, how that person approaches the world and how they think. So Lori, let's take a bit of a deeper dive into those style words. Give me an example of a specific style word and how it's developed and how you would use it. Sure. Let me ask you this. How do salespeople want to come across? Is there, like, is there something that they all have in common, like confidence or approachability, dynamism? Is there any word that stands out to you? The word that would serve them most is trustworthy. 
Ah, oh, you picked such a tough one. Okay, so let's operationalize that, meaning what does it look and sound like? Okay, so mm -hmm. uh, this is, again, pretty spontaneous. Mm -hmm. So a trustworthy person has certain behaviors. They are responsive, meaning that if the prospect has a question, they answer right away or get back to them right away. Mm -hmm. All right. Secondly, trustworthiness may also be a big piece of what you've emphasized during our conversation, which is showing interest. Mm -hmm. I trust this person to be a good salesperson because this person is really showing interest in what I need or what yep. I care about. He or she is taking notes and their phone is in their pocket. I like that. Don't we all? Uh, you know, I think trustworthiness, I'm just wondering orally and visually. So orally, I think of a trustworthy person as sort of calm. You know, again, could you be a loud type of person and trustworthy? Of course. But just in terms of the demeanor that inspires trust, I would say mm -hmm. a certain calmness or evenness. Mm -hmm. Goldilocks, not too loud and you know, right. certainly not too meek. Right. And with the matching against the prospects or customers approach as well. So if yes. the customer talks fast, then the salesperson can talk a little bit faster. I love it. I love it. That is a, that's a technique. I'd say once we master our self-awareness, if we can master watching other people and matching them within comfortable boundaries. Right. right so they don't feel yeah. like, it, you know, you're imitating them. So Lori, this has been a fabulous conversation. My son runs a podcast on running and he says, like any long run, this too has to end. We've just scratched the surface of effective communications, and, and I, yeah. I feel badly that we are leaving our listeners in the lurch, and I feel very good that we're not actually leaving them in the lurch. We're giving them a lifeline. Where can people reach you, Lori? Two main ways. Uh, one would be check out the website, and I'd love you to sign up for a complimentary consult, get to know each other. The website is Partners in Communication, Inc. Sorry about the ink, everybody. INC.com. My daughter says, Mom, it's the frickin' longest name I've ever heard. But maybe I can distinguish myself for having the frickin' longest name. What can I say? Partners in Communication, Inc.com. Yeah, and I also, I, I, love, I love texts and calls. So I'm comfortable with um, you calling directly right. as well. Great. And your contact information is on contact page. So Lori, I took away three key points and maybe you can add on if necessary. First, you have the choice to control how you communicate. Second, as we've showed, let your passion show. And third, it's preparation, not desperation. And it's preparation even in the face of, oh shit, what am I doing? As I described earlier. Even if, you have, even if you only have 30 seconds, a lot can be accomplished in 30 seconds mentally. This has been awesome. Always a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you on the speaking circuit or in, in a workshop. Seeing you. There you go. Everyone keep selling and speaking for success. It's a very good feeling. Thank you, Lori. This has been fabulous. And that's a wrap. Another great deep dive into the topic of sales performance improvement. I like to end a session with specific actions. So remember, please take one or two interesting tidbits from this conversation, talk them through with your team, and take one specific step to improve your sales productivity, and let me know how it goes. 
We'd love your feedback on the podcast, and I'd really appreciate it if you would recommend this podcast to one or two coworkers. You can find show notes, past podcasts, and a contact form at podcast.thoughtsonselling.com. Thanks for listening.